Hello, and welcome to the DMV Business Show, a weekly show where we get to meet local business and community leaders in the DC, Maryland, and Virginia area. They get to impact their story and how they got there. You can expect to hear advice and learn about their journey and how they went from point A to point B. My name is Odo Sevilla, and I'm a commercial real estate advisor in the local DC, Maryland, and Northern Virginia area. I have been very fortunate to have worked with many amazing entrepreneurs and executives, from startup founders to international Fortune 500 companies. And one of the things I love about what I do is I get to form these great relationships with some interesting people. I get to know them and I learn about how it all started. And I love hearing a good business story. When I'm not working in commercial real estate, I just also happen to be the host of this show. So please enjoy and welcome to the DMV Business Show. Hello everyone, welcome to the DMV Business Show. I'm your host, Odo Sevilla. And today we have a very special guest who I work with personally, Barack Tamel. Barack is the owner of several businesses, not just one. He's owner of Urban Boxing, St. Construction, and Med Depot. Welcome to the show, Brock. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Of course. So as I mentioned offline, I, I like the, the people to get to know you a little better. Are you originally from the DMV area? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I, went, I grew up here, went to elementary, middle school, and high school here in the DMV, and I never left, actually. I went to American University, which is in D.C., so local boy. So you're homegrown. Um, in, in what area? Northern Virginia or D.C. or Maryland? Uh, Arlington, Virginia. Okay. All right. So Arlington. Okay. So you so grew, grew up your whole time in Arlington. You said high school and even went to American University in D.C. for college, right? Correct. So growing up in Arlington, um, what did you like? What were you into back then as a kid? Well, um, I did a lot of sports, um, you know, all throughout my, my, I guess, schooling years. And um, I did, you know, wrestling all, all my life pretty much. Started uh, boxing when I was in high school as well. And then um, that's how we initially got started on, you know, eventually on urban boxing. And then um, one thing led to another. And here we are in construction business now. So. So for wrestling, did you start wrestling in what, high school or even before high school? I started when I was eight. Oh, um, young. Yeah, yeah, fairly young. So all the way out and then including, you know, throughout college and, you know, we did, you know, I just wrestled all, all my, uh, as I say, educational years. You know, wrestling is a great sport. I'm curious, at, at that young an age, was it, was it more influenced by parents, I don't know, dad or mom, or was it you that had an interest at eight years old? Um, yeah, so pretty much uh, my dad was a boxer and he never wanted me to box and he, they, they gave me the wrestling instead. And that's how I got started. And I'm also Turkish, so it's a big cultural thing too. And you know, the Turkish people, that's, they wrestle. Okay. So. Are, are you fluent in Turkish? I am fluent. I read and write, and then you know, pretty much, yeah, got bilingual. Okay, so growing up in Arlington at home, it was it was mostly, I assume, Turkish being spoken in the house, right? Um, well, yeah. So just so that I don't forget Turkish, and you know, still am capable of you know writing and reading, I wasn't allowed to speak English at the house, so that just kind of allowed me to just maintain both 
Yeah, that's good. Uh, I mean, I, I was like that growing up too, obviously with, with, with Spanish, but nowadays having little ones myself, it's, I, I try to implement that, but, but it's hard because they then want to speak back to you in English. <laughs> right, right. That's true. So we'll, I have a year and a half uh, year old daughter. And so we're, um, you know, mom is going to speak to her in English. I'm going to be speaking to her in Turkish. So hopefully she picks up both. I hope so. Good luck with that. Thank you. The, the, the reason I was going into wrestling, because it's interesting, my, my oldest son, um, I put him in jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, pre-COVID. And when we started him in jiu-jitsu, he was maybe seven, eight, around there, mm -hmm. similar to the age when you started wrestling. But Barack, there were some kids there that were coming to Brazilian jiu-jitsu who were in, who were doing wrestling or came from wrestling and you could just see the difference just when they go on the mats it was crazy right. it was just wow I was like so it, yeah. if, if you do a combination it is just explosive um, it, it's very interesting wrestling well wrestling is a very good base for a lot of the sports uh, you know boxing kickboxing you know soccer football you know, because, you know, you're, you're using, you know, you, you've got a lot of footwork that can, that can be incorporated into other sports, right? You're aware of your full body. And as you're moving, I mean, obviously, Neil said, jiu-jitsu is also grappling. So it goes in hand in hand. But, um, you know, a lot of the sports that people may not think wrestling is any kind of, there's no any relation in between. Um, it is, in fact, very similar. You can apply what you learn in wrestling and the movements into pretty much any sport. Um, I, I, the, the, you know, I say this to a lot of parents that actually bring their kids to our gyms as well. Um, we, you know, wrestling is one sport that I would recommend to anyone. Um, if, if they're in, if they're any kind of, you know, in, in any kind of sports, wrestling is a great base. Yeah. I mean, it, it teaches you a lot of things. And it, it, you mentioned your dad was a boxer, but he didn't want you to go into boxing. So that's why he, he exposed you to wrestling. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Was, he, you know, at that age, though, I mean, I, I, I don't think I would, you know, let my kid, you know, um, box either. You know, eight is a bit, bit too young, in my opinion. I would probably start at 12-ish, 12, 13 is probably a good age where they can learn and retain and they can, um, you can teach them a lot of the things in regards to defense because before that you're just kind of just you know exchanging blows and it may not be good for development. I'm 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 not quite sure what the stats on that might be, but uh, my gut instinct would be to start them at around 12. Okay. Did Did you start with boxing around that same age? No, I started in high school. High school. Okay. Um, I was 14 or 15 okay. when I started boxing. Now you mentioned with wrestling, y'all. Did you also do wrestling in AU? Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So you yeah. competed. That's great. Did you ever think about possibly Olympics or what were your? No, no I wasn't. I wasn't that good. No, no, no. I didn't have any Olympic aspirations. To be, you know, truth be told, by the time you know um, high school ended, I was kind of, kind of over it. You know, kind of. Uh, I was, I was pretty much done with it. After that, it just, it just felt like a job and I just didn't want to do it. And it's just kind of like, it was just, I didn't enjoy it as much as I did, you know, in prior years. So I think I've had my run 
um, with that, and that was it. Yeah. I wrestle every once in a while now, but it's mainly when I want to work out, I do boxing. Okay, I see. So in, in AU, what, what did you major in there? International business. Okay. So back then in college, were, were you always thinking of business? Yeah, it's always been business for me. Um, what I had initially set out to do was um, was to sort of create something um, in the inter- international realm between, you know, countries trading or, or you know, um, opening different, you know, I, I looked into some trademark law and an application between different countries and I was going to do that for a while. But, um, um, you know, at the end of it all, though, um, I ended up sort of creating a business that that was international. We, we have Med Depot Inc. And Med Depot basically um, imports and exports uh, medical goods, and particularly in Turkey. We're, we're doing um, isolation gowns. And, and it, you know, so we got in this business as far, you know, as far as when we were, when we had started was, um, was, was, I think mid mid 2019 um, prior to pandemic, but when the pandemic hit, obviously we shifted. We were just doing plastic goods, you know, syringes and and catheters and, and pieces of you know whatever they may that may need you know to a hospital sterile products. But then once the pandemic hit, we um, we started doing gowns, coveralls, masks, you know, all the production would be done in Turkey and then, um, you know, uh, import here and in, into the country. And, um, and that's, you know, that's how Med Depot got started. So that was initially what I had set out to do, but, um, you know, then first boxing then you know, same construction, then, you know, finally Med Depot. Med Depot is the most recent business, right? Correct. Yeah. So prior to Med Depot, you said the first one was urban boxing. Was that started during college or right after college or how did that happen? That was 2015. We had our first location open in D.C., um, West End, sort of close to the GW campus. Um, Actually, a couple of blocks away from Metro. And then um, that was the first location Then we... uh, expanded out to Bethesda and then um, we've got an Arlington location and soon we'll, we'll have a Navy Yard by the end of this year, hopefully. So four locations? Currently three, but it will be four. Yeah, the probably. fourth with the Navy Yard. Okay. And, and that was, you said, Brock, in 2015, the first one was open, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Be- before then, were you doing other businesses or what happened after AU, after graduation? Well, I started, uh, I, I, I played poker for a living. I, ah. uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I played poker for a number of years. That's what I did for a living. And then, um, you know, I was, I was still competing as well. I was fighting. And then, um, then I got injured, went through a shoulder surgery. Um, and then while I was recovering, um, we, you know, there was, there, I started training people here and there. And then, you know, the gym that I was in, um, shut down abruptly and without actually, you know, letting anybody know they, they, they had known that they were going to close, but they didn't let any of the members know. So one day we show up at the gym and the gym is closed. 
And so that day I um, take a piece of paper and I put it on the, on the desk. When, when the manager finally did come and then let us, let us, let, let us in, we had seen that, uh, that the computers were gone and anything that kind of meant anything to the owners were taken out overnight. So I put a piece of paper down and I said, leave my, leave your, um, you know, name, number, and email. Um, I'm going to open this place back up again, and I'd like for you to uh, come back. So a month and a half after that, we opened Urban Boxing, uh, which used to be a UFC gym that shut down. So, oh, so it, uh, it, it was the same place then. You just, it, instead of UFC, it now became Urban Boxing. It was the same place, um, although we did change a lot of the interior layout. Um, Yes, where, where where it was, it was a gym. It was a UFC gym that had shut down. That, and then, then we went and negotiated uh, with the landlord and um, and started Urban Boxing. Obviously, um, one of the biggest questions for them was, well, one just shut down. Why would we lease the place out to another gym again? But I was um, I was able to put together a, a, a detailed plan where we. We, we listed what we were going to do differently and how we believed that it was going to be better. And sure enough, um, they gave us the equipment on, on a discount. We were able to execute what we said we would execute on the business plan. And our first year, actually, um, we were selected best gym in D.C. by Washington Magazine. That's amazing. How'd you do that? Well, simple things, uh, you know, what we, we looked at what uh, other gyms do that are that are not working for them and we don't do that, right? It's just simple stuff, you know, keep it clean, keep variety in your classes, the integrity of the, 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 the classes should be there, you know, taught by people that know what they're doing rather than just people who claim they know the sport. Um, and then... And, and, you know, don't, don't tie people into long contracts. Uh, people don't like to commit to, you know, the unknown, right? So we have month-to-month contracts. There are no hassle or, or um, any kind of a penalty for canceling. You know, just make it easy for people. If they want to come, they'll pay. If they don't want to come, they should be able to cancel it just as easily as joining up. So that's what we did. Um, and that has... You know that that seems to be working, and we're expanding. So, you know things are things are going well. That's we're looking to franchise. We're ready to franchise, but you know we're, you know we want to get a few more of the corporate locations open before we start franchising it out of the the city and or the DMV area, I should say. And, and and I'm sure already you probably have a good amount of demand for franchise opportunities, right? Yeah, we haven't really advertised, um, but just people who know urban boxing, they, they, they want, you know, they're on board with it, you know, even today, but we, we have a very low franchise fee. We set everything up, you know, and, you know, for, for the, for the franchise owner and what, you know, and that's one of the, one of the big draws is that our system is designed towards um, making them successful rather than just selling a franchise. You know, we will, we're we're very much involved in all the franchises, or we will be when when we do open um, them. And so, we more so than you know a lot of the other franchises that we see. So we want we want things to be done right. It's it's a brand that we've created over the 
last six years that we don't want tarnished. And so um, it's very hands-on, which is which ultimately helps the franchise owner because they can get to the, you know, the corporate, you know, uh, at their disposal. We're always there to help them. And, and, and um, that's sort of, you know, the, the, the path that we want to follow. Sure. I, I, you know, I've, I've never been into myself personally to a UFC gym, but I'm sure it's much different. I know they had weight. I don't know. I don't, do they even have an octagon there or no? Some uh, have cages, some, okay. you know, depending on the size um, of, of, you know, some don't, some sure. have, you know, weightlifting equipment, you know, your gym equipment and, um, you know, others have less. Um, but yeah, they, they, they try to uniform it, but it's just, you know, I don't think there's a set square footage of a, of a store or wasn't back then. I don't know what they do now, but, um, so it was kind of all over the place. Um, and, and, um, you know, in this area, we, we've seen that a lot of them have closed. Um, I can't speak to the reason why, but, um, it could be a branding thing because the, uh, when they bought LA boxing from their owners, um, UFC was kind of like a, you know, tough guys sport, you know? And so they didn't really get a lot of people um, that weren't looking to fight. Um, but I guess they, they've shifted their marketing strategy a little bit where they're actually, you know, sort of serving to those who are looking to just learn. Um, and that's really what it is. I mean, just because you, you, you train MMA, that doesn't mean you need to compete. It's just, you know, most people do it to get in shape. So I guess that's the message that, you know, that, that, that we give out. What we, what we say is, you know, there's a very fine line between competing and doing it for, for sort of getting in shape. If you go one way or the other too much, you're going to lose the other side. Right. So, if I have, you know, fighters who are looking to come in and train and I'm only doing, you know, punching in the air and that kind of an aerobics class, you know, I'm going to lose that. But also for our, for our members who are looking to learn this as a means of self-defense and at the same time get in shape, um, you know, you're getting trained by Olympians and professional fighters and all of our coaches are, are, are people who've, who have experience in this. So it's not just bully blinks, you know, punching the air, X, Y, Z. You're actually learning if push comes to shove and you have to defend yourself, you are very well capable of doing so. Um, at the same time, it's boxing. You know, boxing never gets old. You're always engaged. You're always learning. And, um, and that's why I believe our retention level is so high is because we keep giving people information or we keep, you know, and more people learn, more they get engaged and they, you know, they see results. When people can see results, it's, it's you're, just your number one um, seller, selling point at that point. With, with uh, urban boxing, is it mostly group classes or also individual one-on-one sessions? We do both, Um, you know, uh, so for those individuals who just want to come in and and, and do it in a class setting, great. And for those who want to take it to the next level and they want to, you know, 
you know, learn proper technique. We have starter packs at three sessions and then we do five and we do all the way up to 10. Um, and even those who are just into more personal training than, than doing classes, you know, they don't necessarily go and get more advanced. It's just that we have, we build a personalized program for those who are looking to do personal training because not everyone's the same. Not everyone's body type is the same. Not everyone's goals are the same, you know, and et cetera. There are so many things that go into it. Um, and so obviously personal trainings are great, um, but not, not always what everyone needs. Sure. Now with that first location, Brock, you know, I'm sure starting off, you, you, you were wearing many hats. You were besides the owner, the, I don't know if you were the coach, the trainer, the janitor, how, how was that initial first year, the first couple of years with that first one? Yeah. So when we first opened, um, I was the front desk, a coach. Well, we had, we had about five coaches at the time, but I was doing majority of the classes. And I was, um, you know, everything, right? I would open the gym at 6 a.m. and close it at 9 p.m. Seven straight months I did that. Wow. Um, with no days off. And finally, I reached out to a friend of mine who was who was a GM at the location that had closed. And I said, you know, he was in Ocean City at the time. I said, what are you up to these days? You know, he says, you know, I've... I've been here for pretty much since we closed down. And I said, all right, well, vacation is over. I'm coming to pick you up. I went, I left at 5 a.m. that morning. I went and picked him up and brought him to work the same day. And he's been with us ever since. Oh, that's great. That's to hear. So then he took over the day-to-day, -day, everything you were doing before. Um, well, he was a GM. And after that, we started, you know, more members we got and we built our list. Um, we, you know, we hired more coaches right now. We have, um, 35 coaches on the roster, uh, offer over 120 classes a week per location. Um, so, you know, we have our, you know, reception crew to, you know, the coaches to sales manager to general manager, regional manager, everything else is in place now. So that was just the initial, you know, starting point where we had to do everything ourselves. Yeah. So, so that person right now is, does he oversee all three open locations or is he focused on one? He's, he's, he's a GM at one of the locations. Okay. So, um, yeah, so he didn't want to really take, you know, take that on. And that was just his preference. Sure. How soon after the first one was open, were you looking to open that second one? Um, I think it was about a year, year and a half later, we opened the second location. Oh, that's pretty quick. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. And yeah, said, we scaled and up fast. Uh, we had a lot of good, um, good response and, and everything. So. And when after this, Brock was Saint Construction established? Well, Saint Construction uh, was established only two years ago, twenty nineteen. Okay. Um, it was. It, you know, I've always had interest in just building things and, and doing, you know, doing things, with, you know, with my hands. And I was always fixing something, you know, relatives or, you know, my house and working on different things. And, uh, and, and I finally figured, you know, why not just uh, do this for a living, you know, and, and I knew a lot of people in the industry as well, um, where we could get our crews, which is 
essentially what the most important piece of the puzzle is if you're if you own a construction business is your crew you know you want people to know what they're doing so they can keep the clients happy and therefore you're happy right so it's like a never-ending circle so um we started with a few uh we've got a couple of big jobs and you know from then on just as with everything you know you have your trade side of it and your business side of it i knew the business side so that was an issue and i um i was familiar with the uh obviously field section as well but not as not as good as i am now obviously experience it means a world of difference when it comes to construction or anything in that sense so um you know we just again grew it from just one or two crews to now we have 12 and we we do everything from you know remodelings to renovations to roofs and siding interior exterior whatever it is so you know wow. we're, we're a general contracting company yeah it, it, is most of the work there for same construction is it mostly on the residential side homes or is it also I, i'm sure you guys do your own build outs when it comes to the gym right right that's you know we do that um, we have we, we have done commercial projects as well. Um, we've built doggy daycares. We've done a retail store. Um, we've done uh, commercial roofs. Um, we've done those. Uh, but but yes. Yeah, so um, would I say you know I mean I would say about eighty five percent is residential. Yes. So we do focus on residential more. Okay. I know earlier you mentioned how you've always been interested. I mean, even from what you studied at AU, the whole international trade and business, and then that sort of helped with Med Depot. How did Med Depot come about? Did you think about something missing in the marketplace and you're like, oh, how about this? Or what happened there? Uh, Med Depot, uh, because my, my, my dad is, uh, is a we manufacture plastic goods, you know, plastic injection molding is what he does. So anything from, you know, um, you know, syringes, right, to, to, to catheters or anything plastic we can put together and, and produce, manufacture it. So when we're the manufacturers, um, we're able to obviously, you know, you can get it sterilized and do all this other stuff. We are able to keep the cost fairly low because we don't have to buy and sell. We're not the middlemen, we're, we're the manufacturers. So it gave us a good opportunity to uh, expand and import and export with, with different countries. We've done, we work with Europe a lot. Um, we've had production for medical facilities as well as schools. We did, you know, anything from rulers to any plastic material you can think of that they use. We've worked with Coca-Cola of Turkey and done their Dasani water bottles. Um, uh, you know, so we were in that, so we're in the medical sector. And then as I was exploring, you know, mid 19, you know, getting some clients here and there and working with, you know, doing making shoe covers for, for, for doctors offices and things like that, the pandemic hit and it hit us out of nowhere where a lot of the U S manufacturers were kind of off caught off guard, which is where we stepped in. Um, we got in, in the um, uh, the government contracting, 
we did we did we we supplied to different states uh we did washington dc ohio vermont north carolina um and then we would then we worked with uh indirectly as a sub to uh to a prime um with the pentagon and uh the va hospitals we've done those um so it kind of um just just kind of boosted us up from just being your you know just a you know local shop to you know doing multi-state federal bids um and because of because of our capacity and capabilities from turkey um we were able to handle them and deliver everything as promised um and haven't defaulted on a contract yet and hopefully it won't ever happen when the originally manufacturing of plastic was that done here in the U.S. or in Turkey? That's in Turkey. So okay. my, my my family is lives in Turkey. They've they've you know they're there. So he owns a, a fairly large uh, company there. So we we manufacture in Turkey and ship it over here. Sure. Now establishing these relationships because it sounds like the for Med Depot is mostly a lot of business to business, right? Yes, that is correct. How, how, how do you go about doing that? Were these already existing relationships or was it any type of marketing and sales? How was that? Well, um, I actually started reaching out. So I, I have, um, you know, I went on a website, um, federal, this is basically, you know, public information and, and I can get a list of companies that bid on these, um, these federal contracts. And most American companies are manufacturers. They just buy from China and resell to the government. I mean, not necessarily China, but anywhere. You know, that it, it, we have we have you know very few amount few amount of companies that actually may, make it here and then be able to sell it, um, which they would do themselves. Uh, you know, which would mean that their their category when they're bidding on these federal bids would be separate. You know, so the ones that I'm looking at are strictly resellers and I know what, you know, who's coming in and out. So then I would get the names of the companies, Google them, LinkedIn, find their information some way, one way or the other, reach out to them and say, I see you bid on this, on this, uh, uh, on this item here, uh, this proposal, you know, uh, you, you didn't win. Uh, what do you say? I cut your cost. And I give you the same thing, better quality at X amount. And obviously, I'm, I'm more than likely be, am able to beat 90% of the pricings that they're getting. So then they would say, well, okay, then let's give it a shot. I send the samples in, they test this stuff out, and then boom, love the product, and it's a customer. I love that. So, so these are companies... Barack, that are going to bid for, let's say, these federal contracts. They don't win the bid. And like you said, maybe their supplier is China or whoever, some Vietnam, whatever country it is. And then you reach out to them and they're like, hey, why not use us as a supplier instead of them? And then they fall in love with your product and that's your way in. Pretty much. I mean, you you beat the quality and the price. That's, I would say, 99% of the reason why a company wouldn't win the bid. You know what I mean? You know, so... And um, yeah, that's that's how we acquired the initial, you know, five, ten clients. And once they started winning and and our product was more widely 
known or common, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was, you know, people then recognize the brand and they would just reach out to us. And, you know, that's, that's how we went about it. That's a great strategy. You know, you, you always hear about all this cheap labor in Asian countries, but I, I guess, you know, from Turkey, that that wasn't really affecting you as far as price and you were able to beat the price and even provide them a much better quality product. Yeah. So with Turkey, with respect to the, the, the goods, um, you know, it wasn't so much the labor cost, but it's more of the, the material cost. Turkey is one of the biggest manufacturers of, of, of SMS fabric in the world. Uh, I would say top two. So when the material is cheap, right, then the end product obviously is going to reflect that and that's going to be cheap as well. It, and, but, but the quality remains the same where the price drops because there are less people involved. So I'll give you an example. Um, uh, we sold our gowns to the UK um, and they ended, up ha- they ended up in the US, okay, uh, at, the, at about three to four times, three and a half times more than what we sold it for. Why? I mean, there's one reseller, then he has to make money to the next guy, and then the next guy does it too. So everybody has to has to make something for it to make sense. So as they add more and more, you know, the prices go up. So when I called somebody and said, well, uh, you know, I get Medipo gowns already. I said, oh, that's interesting um, because we're the only sellers in the U.S., right? So we don't give any kind of, um, you know, you know, sort of a distributor here in the U.S. We are the distributors here. So he says, well, I have a contact in the U.K. that got me Med Depot uh, gowns. I said, well, that's interesting, you know. So then one, you know, obviously the conversation is odd. And then and then the story comes out and I say, well, you, it's your lucky day. Uh, we're going to save you a lot of money here. So that was it. That's how we um, we kind of, you know, grew from there. I like that. I like that. Now, I, I, I'm assuming, again, for Urban Boxing, the, the growth, you, like you said, it's a lot of word of mouth. People love it. And then you're opening multiple locations and the community gets behind each location, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, community aspect of it with our gym in particular is, is incredible. Um, our members love to be a part of Urban Boxing because of what it stands for, what it does. And, and it's just a very close knit community that's so welcoming that we get pretty much, you know, four or five prospects a day. And they're just, you know, all, all in, you know, from the get go, because they make friends. It's, you know, they go out, you know, we have outings of our own, you know, where we celebrate and we watch fights together, you know, UFC fights or um, boxing matches or whatever, maybe um, we have, you know, cookouts, we have, I mean, you know, we, 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 we really focus on that a lot. Um, I think it's important in the sense that, um, you know, though it, it helps with the retention in those days that you, you, you're not so in to working out and you want to just kind of like you're tired from whatever, you know, you've done and you, you know, but then that, that, uh, that thing kicks in you say you know you have your friends there and if you don't show up you might get reprimanded whatever it may be you know in that group of you know, circle of friends uh you tend to show up there and that helps you know you know you push each other you learn you get better and you train on your own and you know 
it, not only does it help the trade itself, but it's actually fun. It's more fun when you do it in a group setting, at least for me. Um, I've always been that, you know, in a, in, a, in, a, in a group environment when we train. So I, I just personally love that. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. Yes, definitely. With, with sink construction, it's so different compared to Med Depot or even urban boxing. And, and I understand the majority, over 85% or so, are residential customers and clients. Uh, is it a lot of word of mouth there in the construction side, Barack, or how has that grown? Yeah, word of mouth, you know, um, what we call referrals are great. Um, we also have our neighborhood response team um, where we get a call on, let's say, for example, let's talk about roofing, right? So if we get uh, an alert saying that there's a major storm hitting this area, we then deploy our neighborhood response team to that neighborhood and, and you know, start letting people know that we're here for them. If they need anything, we're, you know, fully capable of what, you know, of, of, of any kind of repairs. Um, and then, you know, once we're working on one house, obviously the same storm hit the next house over. And typically when a developer comes in and builds a neighborhood, all the houses are just the same year. So your roof is going to essentially, you know, be about the same age. Um, of course, you get people who replace their roofs already, but um, the ones that are old, you know, we go and say, hey, you know, uh, we're already in the neighborhood. If you want, we'll give you a free inspection and let you know how your roof looks as opposed to your neighbors. And then if they give us the go ahead and, you know, we hop on there and see what the damage may be and then speak to the homeowner afterwards. And that way, you know, we kind of just kind of go from there. And that's, you know, it's not a random selection of houses where we want to work on as far as the roof is concerned. It's, you know, kind of where, where it's needed. Um, in this case, you know, storms, that's what we follow. Sure. So the stores comes and then people go out there and would start knocking on the neighborhood and see if, if they have a need? Um, well, we typically get, we start on an, in a neighborhood once we're in they're working on a house, you sure. know, because we want to be able to tell them we're not just randomly knocking on your door. We're working on your neighbor here who's, who, who has seen damage that we can attribute to this latest storm. So that's why we're here. Um, you know, there's going to be a reason why people, you know, you go on knocking people's doors, you know, so. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. I think maybe a year ago or two, I'm in a plant community and then all of a sudden in my block, several blocks, you see all these roofs coming up and I'm like, am I missing something here? And, and it's mostly one or two roofing companies. And, and I speak to my neighbor across the street, right across the street from my house. I'm like, what's going on? And he was like, well, supposedly there was a storm. I don't know what happened, but it was more of an insurance play. So he was like, hey, they came to me, they got on the roof, they told me my deductible was, I don't know, a couple hundred or thousands, and I have a brand new roof. And so a lot of our neighborhood, maybe less than two years ago, went through that cycle. It just brings that memory up. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, um, that's exactly sort of what we do. We do specialize, I mean, not necessarily um, fo our focus is that, but we do have, as far as the roof is concerned, we do have insurance specialists on board where we help our clients, uh, throughout the claim. We handle it for them. Uh, we, you know, 
were there every step of the way from inspecting the roof to the turning kind of a end product. Um, and, and because most people don't know about roofs or what, you know, what it is and how it to be fixed and what's the proper way of doing it, we tend to be one-on-one -on -one with the insurance company to make sure that they get the best product out there and that they don't get shorted. And believe it or not, insurance, as much as we'd like to think they're on our side, they are, they are, in fact, yes, they are in a sense, but they're also not. They're a company that they're, you know, they're in the business of making money too. And the way to make money is to keep your costs low and, you know, maximize on the amount of clients that you have. So they collect a bunch of premiums, but they, when it comes to um, sort of fixing uh, what needs to be fixed, they try to take the shortcut out and kind of get it done as cheaply as possible. But that's not always the, the right way to do it. I, I agree there. I, I've seen many cases that sometimes people have to bring an insurance adjuster or claim adjuster to, to sort of fight on their behalf from the insurance companies. Yeah, we have insurance adjusters that, uh, that we know. Um, and, you know, if, if need be, you know, we, 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 when the, when the homeowner asks us if we have any suggestions, we give them a list of people that we know are well qualified to do this. So they fight on their behalf. But before it gets to that, we, we, we tend to be okay with, you know, we know a lot of the insurance companies and the adjusters in the area anyway. So we, we work well with the, um, with the insurance company directly, you know, we're, you know, and so, um, typically, uh, public adjusters, take a, a good chunk of the uh, settlement, which homeowner doesn't want always, you know, so that, you know, they don't work free for free either. Yeah. Brian, having several companies here, I'm sure surrounding yourself with the right team, the right team members, having them in the right roles is very, very important. How do you go about doing that? Like, where do you find them or what do you do with all the different companies that you're running? So, yeah, the team, the team is, is everything, you know, um, no matter what you do, you, you, you're, you're, if you're a bigger company, you're most likely not one man show here. Right. So, um, the team was what, what, what's going to carry you through the finish line. And, um, uh, when, when it was boxing, it was for me, people that I know and I've trained with and I've, you know, seen in action, um, and as far as it, uh, the, the, the construction is concerned, these are the people that have, I've worked with in, in order to build out my gyms. So I knew those crews, you know, and, 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 um, and people that I know just being around, um, you know, Med Depot, you know, you, you know, you get a good, um, you know, um, bid prepare. Um, for for documentation and stuff like that and that's just again you know um, people that you just come around and you know meet throughout throughout the years um, so so essentially um, it's very important I don't have a particular way of um, sort of finding people that we need uh, for different businesses you know I, I just I don't just go online and find the right person it's kind of uh, trial and error in most cases and it's just you know you start with the people that you know um, and then go from there in my opinion that's what's worked for me at least sure how does your day-to-day -day look like I'm sure every day is different but are you 
look going to a location every so often? Or are you a construction site or with the Met Depot or? It, it varies. Um, it varies a lot. Um, you usually I, I make my rounds in 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 the gym you know go go to different locations and make sure that's that's good and then um, we have obviously as you know um, our office in, in for for same construction and um, our other office is in Med Depot so we have I mean it's <clears throat> I don't want to say self running right now but uh, it's close to that point where <clears throat> people have responsibilities they know what they're doing and. They they handle it and it gets to me when there's a there's a, a major concern. Sure, it, it is most of your focus sort of in one particular one over the other or right now. No, not necessarily. They're just you know it's just different. You know, um, <clears throat> construction requires more day to day interaction. Okay, uh, boxing gyms. Um, now that we have an established system and we've been around for six years, they have managers and, and, and other staff that's running that. And it only then becomes an administrative issues if it ever arises. And so my, <clears throat> I have a partner, um, Derek Davison uh, for the gyms. And then, um, he, he steps in, you know, most of the time he, he's able to do everything there. Um, on the back end, and for me, I do the operational side. And uh, when there's a problem there, I step in and take care of it. Um, but for the you know, and then you got your um, Med Depot side, where the biggest problem that may arise is your manufacturing and your logistics. Uh, manufacturing team is obviously they've been in the business for 60 years. That's my father. They they handle their business. Um, logistically, um, things definitely do go wrong and, uh, and you know, we, we step in to fix it. Uh, but that's also going to be, you know, you know, your, you have, you have your logistics team taking care of that. So, you know, your import and export agents and you've got, you know, your trucking crew, you got, you know, whatever it is that you need at the delivery site and, and, and uh, that sort of thing. So, Essentially, um, that's good. Now, same construction is something that needs to be, you know, sort of day-to-day -day business operations because um, of where we are right now. We have major projects, and, and uh, you know, for that, anything can go wrong at a job site. I mean, almost every single time, you know, things don't go as planned. And so, you know... Well, I guess uh, what's that Murphy's law, you know, what, what could go wrong will go wrong. It tends to happen in, in construction because um, there are just so many moving parts. So, but that's what makes it most fun. And um, that's when we, that's where we actually shine because of our experience and what, what our guys are capable of doing. Um, and so um, that's, that's how I kind of, you know, dedicate my time Um you know, not necessarily a set amount of time for each um, because that just, it's always evolving. You know, it's a kind of a fluid, you know, idea of, you know, when to delegate time to what. So, um, yeah. What would you say drives and motivates you now? Well, um, I just, I just love what I do. Um, you know, I just, I just, 
you know, it's not, it doesn't feel like work to me. That's what's so motivating. I want to, I want to be able to do something that, that I, that doesn't feel like, you know, uh, you know, I, I, I would never want to dread going to work. Right. And that's the one thing I don't, that's why I never started on, you know, corporate world when I graduated I never wanted a nine to five. Um, and that was it. So for me, it was, uh, it's that, you know, my drive, it comes from loving what I do. Um, I love building things. I love, you know, helping people with, you know, repairs and remodels. And when a finished product is delivered, I'd love to see their faces. Same goes with boxing, urban boxing. You know, I love when people, you know, give us reviews and say, you know, this is a huge accomplishment for me. This has worked for me. You know, they tell us how much they love it and how, appreciative they are of the community and 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 things and you know obviously med depot um the biggest drive for me was to be able to help people during the pandemic and we've supplied you know millions of gowns um to to what was most needed then you know when when we had shut down borders and we couldn't get anything from china um there was only three other countries in the world that did what we did that was uh, India, Mexico, and Turkey, and we were one of them, and we delivered. And and I mean, that goes without saying. I mean, how it doesn't get any better than that. How satisfying is it to be able to provide medical equipment at the height of the pandemic? I mean, you're literally saving lives. You know, this is you know that was the most you know rewarding moment for me. Um, and it's just, it's just that really, I mean, being, you know, I mean, when you think about it, it's very versatile. It's, it may look like I'm kind of all over the place, but it's, there's uh there's kind of a reason for, for everything. No, no, not, not at all. I actually like that because I mean, some people stay in one lane and as a, as a human being, you have different interests too, or things you want to explore and look at and, and why not? Um, I, I think you should. Um, now that you mentioned the pandemic, I'm, I'm curious to hear, Barack, how has it affected, I'm sure with Med Depot, I don't know, I could be wrong, it probably boomed as far as business and the construction side. I mean, I know right now a lot of the supplies has also increased, but I'm sure there's also been an, an increase in demand there as, as well. But I'm sure the gym is a little different. So how has COVID affected all businesses? So we were shut down for the most part. Um, uh, for the gyms, uh, we were shut down for the most part, so we didn't do much. Um, and and but yes, on the other side, uh, Med Depot was booming, and that's when we basically catapulted into government contracts and 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 everything else at the size that we've been doing because our daily capacity of production is seven hundred thousand gallons, you know, per day. So that's that. There's we're the top manufacturers of uh, medical gowns in Turkey. So, you know, with that being said, we were able to sort of, you know, people see and see the quality of the products and then hear how fast we can get, get it to them. Um, you know, that was definitely, um, you know, a good, good thing to have in the arsenal so that we could, you know, do well. And we did really well. Um, and then finally, um, the construction side, you know, believe it or not, people wanted to, 
do more renovations and remodelings than you know than any other time that I've witnessed. So people were probably just at home and say, you know what, I don't like the way this looks anymore. I just you know yeah get rid of it. So so um, you know construction did well too. Um, you know, uh, and even after pandemic, we're still where we are. Where you know obviously during during the pandemic we were deemed um, essential business, so we were able to conduct you know go you know conduct our business and um and and do work but um yeah it wasn't it wasn't a it wasn't a huge setback for us in any way um except you know for the gyms that were obviously shut down for a certain amount of time but you know we were prepared for that as well um and we are able to now grow from it and we're opening the fourth location yeah, that's great. Having several successful businesses, what advice, Brock, would you give to someone if they just, let's say they wanted to start off any type of business, what are some few pointers you would give that person? Well, um, anytime. Okay. So that's a, that's a good question. Um, what we'll do is, um, I mean, what I would recommend is this, uh, for anyone who's looking to start a business, uh, don't be intimidated. Don't overthink it. Do your due diligence um, and don't overstretch yourself. Uh, you know, it's great to have goals, but not ambitious goals, right? I mean, keep them simple. Keep it to the basics, right? And basics will get you a long way. I use that in wrestling. I use that in boxing. I use that in construction. I use it in the, all the businesses I've started, Okay don't try to reinvent the wheel it, it will happen myself and and the, and the most important thing i'll say is this focus on the product right so focus on the service or the product make sure that that is your main focus and that is what the, the best you can offer right do the best you can there and the rest will follow if the, if if money is your motivation you will lose if you are too ambitious and you don't plan well ahead and you, you know, something happens, you will lose. I mean, most businesses don't, don't survive because of that. Um, and so, you know, it's, you know, put a business plan together. You know, even if it's a few pages, it doesn't have to be a 60 page, you know, professionally done business plan, but, but, but have a plan and uh, follow through with it. Uh, you know, don't be intimidated uh, and, and, things will happen as long as you, you provide the good service it, it, people will come. That's great. What are some habits or skills that have helped shape you throughout your career, whether on personally or on the business side? Well, I would say, you know, I could probably put that in one word and say discipline, right? Stay disciplined, you know, whether you are disciplined in sports, or, or your daily life or discipline in any sort of way, you know, apply that, apply everything that you learn to the things that you're going to be doing. Um, you know, discipline is a key consistency, obviously, which comes from the discipline it is very important. I've found. Um, and, and, um, and that's what I would say, you know, uh, having a, a, a sports background is, is very helpful because, you know, essentially, you have to be disciplined to do any kind of a sport really. Uh, and, 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 um, and, and that's, you know, that's one thing I would say is uh, start kids early in sports, keep them disciplined and 
you know, they'll do good. They'll be just fine. I like that. What would you say is your biggest challenge right now with your role today? Say that one more time. Your biggest challenge with your role? That does anything come to mind? I know you have several companies, but as far as any challenges that you're working on right now? Mm -hmm. So I guess the biggest challenge in, in sort of the more the executive level managing is going to be managing people, right? So um, that's, that tends to be the most challenging part. Um, you know, it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a skill that, that, that needs to be had with, with if you want to run a company. You have to be able to run a team. You have to be able to manage um, not only your own time and, and your duties, but others as well. You have to carry your teammates when, it, when the time comes, and they have to do the same for you, obviously. Um, we all have off days, but, 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 yeah, carrying your team and managing is the key. Are, are, are you doing anything differently? I don't know if you have maybe an HR role or, or something like that to help you with that challenge. Well, um, yeah, so we have, um, we don't have an HR department in any of the businesses, um, but that's certainly a, a big thing. I mean, having, having an HR team to sort of, you know, look at things and making sure that the employees are okay and that there's uh, the everything is in order. That's extremely important. Yeah. What do you know now, Barack, that you wish you would have known at the start of your business career? Uh, it's interesting. That's a good question. What do I know now that I had, that I wish I had known when I first started? Um, I don't know. I can't, I can't, I don't know if I, if I have anything that I look back and say, I wish I had done that because I don't know. I mean, everything has worked out so far. So, yeah, everything led you to where you are today. Yeah, everything you know got got to me, or you know, got got me where I need to be. Uh, real quick, I know you mentioned poker, and I don't know why that just came to mind to me right now. I'm sure there were some lessons uh, playing poker that you sort of applied in the business world, right? Yeah, poker is poker is a very you know thinking man's game. Uh, really, I mean it's poker. Poker has a lot of a lot of attributes that that uh, that you can apply to the real world. World, it is um, you know you get to meet different people. You are spending a lot of time and you know on the table with the same people. You're observing. You're you're just picking up things and tendencies and. Um, you're, you know, doing a lot of the, you know, you're retaining all that information and, um, it's important because, you know, you can then, you know, you, you learn how to, how to deal with people. Right. And so if you're in the service business, whether you're in a restaurant or, or, or boxing gym, right. You're dealing with people day in and day out. So, um, it was very, uh, yeah, I mean, it was very, valuable to learn how to deal with people uh and and poker certainly helped with that as it is one of the major components of poker is to be able to uh you know read people get reads and tells and whatever it may be sure so a lot of benefits there coming to an end here soon what does division look like what does the next five years or so look like for the companies well that's a very interesting question um, 
but here's what I, I, and I've never done this, and this is a different approach, and you know, may not sit well with many people, but I don't do, I don't, I don't do five-year plan or a ten-year plan, or or have a vision there because I think that everything we do is so fluid that you have to take it day by day. Um, yes, it's good to have a plan, but so many things change along the way that you may end up nowhere near where you want to be in five years. So um, I really don't put too much, too much time or effort into, you know, planning what I'll do in two years. Um, I have shorter term goals, right? I have monthly goals. I have three month goals, right? That's quarterly goals. And then I have a year goal and I don't really go over a year because to me, it's like predicting the weather from two weeks before it could change, you know? And so um, that's my approach to it. So I'm afraid I can't answer that question. It, it reminds me of a business plans and, and it's great. Business plans are great. I mean, I, I see them all the time and it's good to have them. Of course, there's value in them, but the business plan is not going to predict a lot of things in the business plans that happen in real life business are not there. That's true. Yeah. That's very true because, because things change and there's so many moving factors and so many things that can happen. And it's really, really difficult to sort of plan all that out. And so I, I, I tend to use my time elsewhere. Yeah, that's good. When, Brock, when you're not busy running all these three organizations, what do you like to do in your free time? I like working out. I like going on walks with the family. You know, I have a year and a half uh, year old daughter, as I mentioned. Uh, so we go to places and, um, and, uh, you know, I, 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 for the most part, I spend my time with the, with the family, you know, we just, we just do things, you know, go out activities, whatever it may be. Sure. Now, no boxing for her, right? <laughs> well, she, she can do whatever she wants, really. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say do one thing or the other. I would like for her to play sports, but you know, it's, it's uh, whatever she likes doing really. I mean, everybody's different. I don't want to, you know, sort of implement, you know, a certain set of things to, you know, to her, or even if I have, you know, more in the future, I just kind of, um, I would like for them to be involved in sports. That's for sure. But Hey, whatever they can, they can excel at that. That's what I'm going to support. Sure, whatever they're like. And no, I was just saying it because I know your father didn't want you to get into it. So I was wondering if you were into the same similar approach or a little different. <laughs> right, <laughs> it didn't work right. out for him. I, I, I saw that. Yeah, I mean, um, so no, I mean, if she likes it, she can do it. I mean, yeah. I'll at least be able to train her where she can do it in a safely manner. Yeah, that's good. There you go. She has a plenty of locations to do so. That's correct. Yeah. So Barack, if, if the audience wants to learn more about you and all the different companies, where can they go to to find out more information? So stgc.com is, is our construction, uh, meddepotusa.com uh, for our medical uh, devices, uh, equipment, and uh, urbanboxingdc.com for our boxing gyms. Um, so, and they can, they can find out more about me personally, if they want to uh, get on LinkedIn. So that would be that would be it. Barack, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me on. Always a pleasure. All right. Take care, my friend. Take care. Have a good one. You too. If you haven't done so already, please make sure to subscribe to the show and leave a review and comment and let me know what you think. 
Thank you, and I'll see you all very soon on the next episode.